The heat is deadly. The smell of sweat, hot bodies, and fear permeates the air. It's becoming less and less breathable. My struggles to breathe. She's 26 and in the prime of her youth, but she is tightly surrounded by people who are sweltering in the heat just like she is. People are crying for their families and loved ones. The person sitting next to her faints and falls to the floor. There is no way out. The strongest among them have tried force, and the smartest have tried to figure a way out, but nothing has come of their efforts. They are all going to die. This is the story of 39 people who died inside a travel trailer while they were being illegally trafficked from one country to another. You're listening to Twisted Travel and True Crime, the podcast. I'm your host, Sandy. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank D. Meeker for becoming a supporter of the podcast. It means a lot, and it helps me be able to put out more stories for your listening pleasure. Thank you so much, D. Mai's tragic voyage begins in Vietnam, so strap your bones right to the seat and get ready. Vietnam is absolutely gorgeous. It has beautiful white sandy beaches. It's got mountains and amazing desert landscapes. Take your pick and you will find beauty. Motorbikes are found everywhere in Vietnam. You might see an entire family of five on one motorcycle. The Vietnamese are known for their fantastic coffee and when looking for something to pair with coffee, you may end up eating animals that you normally wouldn't here in the States. Dog and cat meat is very popular in Vietnam. It's widely available. So make sure that if that thought turns your stomach as it does mine, make sure you clarify before you order. If you visit Vietnam, you'll definitely be getting your hands on some dong. Vietnamese people use dong to do their business. Yes, I'm talking about currency. You will also become an instant millionaire. One dollar in Western currency is about 23,000 dong. So $50 turns you into a millionaire. Although technically they may be considered millionaires, most Vietnamese make very little money. In fact, in the 1990s, the average per capita income was $98. By 2010, it reached $1,000. Vietnam is now defined as a lower-middle-income country by the World Bank. Of the 83 million people who live in Vietnam, 13 million still live in poverty. If you are not educated, an ethnic minority, and grew up in poverty, the chances of making enough money to survive in Vietnam are very small. Because of this, many people from Vietnam are forced to look to other countries for their income. Families save their money in order to send a family member to another country where that family member will find work and then send money home. Many other countries do not welcome these immigrants, and so they look for human traffickers to help bring them to their desired country. Most of the time when we think of human trafficking, we think of the sex trade. It's forcing people who didn't ask for it into becoming slaves. That's the vast majority of human trafficking about 75 to 80 percent. Women and children are often targets. In some societies, the devaluation of women and children make them more vulnerable to trafficking than men. They're also targeted because of the demand for women in the sex trafficking. Women and girls make up 98 percent of the victims used for sexual exploitation. 
The rest are forced into labor exploitation, such as agricultural or construction work. Some causes of human trafficking include poverty, war, natural disasters, or the possibility and promise of a better life. The service industry that particularly exploits humans are restaurants and kitchens because they are looking for cheap labor. In this story, many of the Vietnamese hope to work in the marijuana harvesting farms near Essex. Human trafficking generates a huge profit. The estimated human trafficking industry profit is $1.5 billion per year. Approximately two-thirds of this is from sexual exploitation, while the rest comes from economic exploitation, such as domestic work and agriculture. Human trafficking is the fastest growing and second largest criminal industry in the world, after drug trafficking. Cases of human trafficking are difficult to identify. Part of the reason for this is that victims of trafficking are well hidden or highly traumatized. Those who become traumatized are unlikely to share information with investigators because they are scared or too traumatized to respond. Consumers of human trafficking also contribute to the hidden nature of the crime. The traffickers and consumers are aware of the huge risk they take by participating in the behavior and will do their very best to cover up any illicit activity. And this brings us to Mai and the story of her death. Nguyen Tai Fong is visiting the grave of her daughter Mai. She sobs as she walks through the cemetery to her daughter's grave. The pain she carries with her is unbelievable. She pauses to lean against her daughter's gravestone to stop herself from falling to the ground. She is crying, daughter, daughter, my daughter. In the grave was her 26-year-old daughter, Mai. As she lay dying, her mother said that she sent home a final text. The text read, Mom, I think I'll die, suffocated. Mai's plan was to work in the beauty industry so she could send money back to her family. She wanted to make enough money to fix the house for her mom and dad. She never believed that something bad would happen to her. On October 3, 2019, she left her home in Houghton for Hanoi by bus. She left for China the following day. After 10 days there, she traveled on to France where she would begin the last leg of her voyage. The plan was for her to be smuggled into the UK in a cargo container. Many others before her had made the journey safely, so she and her mother weren't worried initially. Her mother said, quote, In my area, many people work abroad. Their income has greatly improved and nothing bad has happened before, so I trusted them. My daughter's trips from Vietnam to China and to France were safe. I had no idea this would happen. End quote. The final leg of her trip was different. The traffickers got greedy, and vulnerable people became little more than products to be shipped from one place to another. Mai, along with 38 others, made up of 9 women and 30 men, chose to enter into a refrigerated cargo container. Their ages were from 44 down to 15 years. On October 22nd, arrangements are made for taxis to bring the victims together. At around 5 a.m., five of the victims use their phones while in Paris. Around 9, more messages are sent. At 9.21 a.m., three taxis arrive with the passengers and are soon met by the semi-trailer. They all climb up, 
squeezing into the trailer, and the journey begins. At 1.41, the semi arrives at the designated port in Belgium, and the trailer is loaded onto the ferry. The ship leaves the dock at 3.36 p.m. I don't know where the shipping container was loaded, but if you have seen a cargo ship, those containers are piled high. What if they were on the bottom, with the shipping crates piled on top and all around them? What I'm going to say next determines the fate of these poor people. The refrigeration system for the container was never turned on. Almost 40 people, locked in the dark, in the heat, in the back of a semi-trailer. Can you imagine? I hate crowds. The people were so determined to find work to help their families that they willingly piled into a trailer like cattle or pigs packed in to be taken to slaughter. I know that's a disgusting comparison, but honestly, if you've seen animals in trailers that are being taken to slaughter, they are treated better. They are carried in trailers with holes everywhere so they can breathe. These humans were completely closed in with no good ventilation and no way to cool off. At 7.37 p.m., a young father named Nguyen Tho Tuan recorded a message for his family. It said, It's Tuan. I'm sorry I cannot take care of you. I am sorry. I am sorry. I can't breathe. I want to come back to my family. Have a good life. At 10 p.m. that evening, the temperature in the trailer peaks at 38.5 degrees Celsius, or 101 degrees Fahrenheit. By this point, the air was too toxic for human life. At 12.18 a.m., motor vessel Clementine docks and unloads the container. At 1.07, the container has been collected and has been closed for about 12 hours. The driver receives a Snapchat saying, quote, Give them air quickly, but don't let them out. The driver drives out of Perfleet and then stops at 1.15 and opens the back doors where he stands for about 90 seconds before getting back in the cab. He drives for seven more minutes before returning to the same location. He opens the doors again, calling his boss for one minute and 42 seconds and then takes another phone call. Over 15 minutes, there was a flurry of telephone contacts made between the drivers and the handlers. At 1.36 a.m., he calls 999 and requests an ambulance. At 1.50 a.m., police arrive at the scene where the driver is standing calmly by the trailer. He later texts a friend saying there must have been too many and they ran out of air. At the trial, the emergency call was played. It went like this. Operator, are they breathing? The driver responds, no, I don't think so. I heard a noise in the back, so I opened the door. The operator says, how many patients? The driver says, 25. Are they breathing? No, is the response. The first officer on the scene describes finding the half-naked bodies closely packed together in the trailer some frothing at the mouth. The people inside the crate had stripped down to their underwear in the heat and tried to break their way out of the trailer's roof. They found a metal pole on the floor of the container and gouge marks on the roof. Emergency medical staff desperately searched for signs of life. 
They said the bodies were packed so tightly together, and there were so many, that they couldn't reach some of the bodies for quite some time. Post-mortem examinations found that they had all died from overheating and lack of oxygen. They had been in the container for 12 hours. Since they had taken off their clothes, it was harder to identify the bodies. Mobile phones showed how the victims had tried to raise the alarm and left goodbye messages for loved ones as they ran out of air. Two of the victims, a couple who were found dead, were still holding hands. They were taken to the hospital together. The couple had traveled by plane, working in Hungary as fruit pickers. They had left behind two young children with their parents. Relatives of the couple organized about $7,000 per person so that they could go to make money for their own children. Jurors also heard of a 40th possible migrant who missed his death because he was late for the rendezvous with the cargo trailer. I hope that young man realizes how lucky he was. During the trip, the group had tried to call the Vietnamese emergency number as they slowly ran out of air. This was when they realized there was no phone signal available and that's when the recorded messages began to be made. A witness who had previously trafficked earlier that year told the jurors that the migrants were provided with bags to urinate and defecate in. They were told to remain quiet and to huddle in the center of the trailer when they heard a signal. When they arrived safely in Britain, they were held in an apartment until their families had paid the rest of their agreed-upon price. At that time, they were free to go. This witness also stated that two of the people in the group of 39 who died were making their second attempt to reach England as they had been caught the first time. The chief constable in charge of the case said, The men who are found guilty today made their money from misery. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't care. They tried to hide what they were doing. They attempted to evade detection. They thought they could cover up their crimes. They have been proved wrong on every account. While I'm immensely proud of the Essex Police and our partners for this diligent investigation, none of us will stop thinking of the victims and their families. These family members are in most cases halfway across the world and their lives will never be the same again. We will never forget these 39 victims, men, women, and children who were sold the lie of a safe passage to our country. I did the math for this particular shipment of people. It seemed the average price was about 13,000 euro or about 16,000 US dollars. With 39 victims, the total is $624,000. The drivers were reportedly to be paid 1,500 euro or about $1,800 per person or just over 70 $2,000 for this trip alone. It's reported that they transported between 60 and 80 people in October. That's about a million dollars a month in total. The criminals were practiced in human trafficking and had a tried and true method of doing so. They would take between 15 and 20 people and it had worked for them multiple times in the past. The belief is that something happened prior to the shipment on the 22nd. That meant that there were an extra 19 or 20 people who did not cross as planned. The traffickers decided to put all the victims in one container, 
rather than wait or schedule another shipment. They put all 39 inside, knowing full well that it was a dangerous choice. The drivers lied at first, saying that they thought they were smuggling illegal cigarettes or other illegal items. They wouldn't admit to knowing that they were trafficking humans. This, of course, proved to be false. Various investigations are still proceeding across Europe and with international partners into this criminal network. There were six men convicted in Essex and there were eight in Vietnam. For the victims and the families, the pain is twofold. They lost their family member and a lot of money. Some of them leased their homes to pay for the cost of passage. This was seen as an investment. They're struggling to pay bills that are higher than they were before. They're also taking care of the family members who lost their father, husband, son, mother, wife, or daughter. Mai's mother said, The family finances have been very difficult. We have to pay back interest and my husband's job is not stable. We gather the money to pay the bank, and if it's still not enough, then we have to borrow from outside to help. She has no daughter, no money, and no way out. The family is trapped in a desperate cycle, but she is not looking for revenge. She says the traffickers are also just human. I don't hold a grudge against them. In the end, they were only trying to help my child find a job. Bad luck happens. I know they didn't plan for it. I even feel pity for them. The Vietnamese have a value system that is based in four areas. They are a love of learning, respect for others, a good name or recognition by others, and allegiance to family. Mai was the youngest of four sisters and the most educated. Her last text read, I'm really, really sorry, Mom and Dad. My trip to a foreign land has failed. I am dying. I can't breathe. I love you very much, Mom and Dad. I'm sorry, Mother. Since human trafficking is often a crime that is hidden in plain sight, it's important to be aware of its warning signs. Some indications that a person may be a victim of human trafficking include appearing malnourished, showing signs of physical injuries and abuse, avoiding eye contact, social interaction, and authority figures, seeming to adhere to scripted or rehearsed responses in social interaction, lacking official identification documents, appearing destitute, lacking personal possessions, working excessively long hours, living at the place of employment, checking into hotels, motels with older males and referring to these males as boyfriend or daddy, poor physical or dental health, tattoos, branding on the neck or lower back, untreated sexually transmitted diseases, small children serving in a family restaurant, security measures that appear to keep people inside an establishment such as barbed wire, not allowing people to go to public alone or speak for themselves. These warning signs are adapted from information provided by the Polaris Project and its National Human Trafficking Resource Center. To close today, I'm going to share a personal travel story. My husband and I rented a small cargo truck in order to move our stuff from our boat to our storage. The U-Haul had two small seats in the front. We have four children. After loading the U-Haul, the children and I hopped in the back for a short ride to the hotel we were staying in that night. As soon as we arrived, my husband secured the room 
then opened the truck door and we all hopped out and walked into the hotel. We showered and settled into bed, watching TV and enjoying the air conditioning after a long, hot day. Around 10 p.m., there's a knock at the door and a police officer asks us to open up. We look at each other with surprise and confusion and we open the door. There were two officers there and they told us that someone had seen us exiting the U-Haul and thought that we were trafficking our children. After a few minutes of explanation and a quick look at our identification, they were assured that our children did indeed belong to us and apologized for the inconvenience. We thanked them for their time. Upon reflection, we were happy that someone was watching and made a call to the police. If our kids had been taken, that phone call may have saved their lives. If you see something strange, don't be afraid to say something. I believe especially when it comes to kids that it's better safe than sorry. If you like what you heard today, please take a minute to give us a five-star review or tell a friend. If you love it, please consider donating to the podcast. A link to do so is at the bottom of the episode description. If you have a travel story you would like to share, you can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, or you can email at twistedtravelandtruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, here's wishing you fair winds and following seas.